Well, again, thank you, worship ministry. I know I, I, I feel like I say this to y'all every week, but I'm so grateful for all these volunteers that give so much time and energy just to serve the Lord and to serve us. And aren't we grateful for them to take all these rehearsal times and all of that so that they can lead us in worship. I'm truly appreciative and grateful for each of them. Well, today I want us to look at <clears throat> this passage from Ephesians 4. I've entitled the message today, Competent Together. <clears throat> I want you to think about this whole idea of being together. That's our theme for the year. And God has put us in the church for a reason. And he has provided for the church in ways that I hope we will understand and acknowledge. And so I've entitled the message today, Competent Together. Look with me at Ephesians 4 today. And I want to begin in verse 7. We looked at verses 1 through 6 last Sunday. So look at verse 7, where the Bible says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The word grace there is referring to gifts, if you will. Each one of us, grace or gift has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So today we're going to reflect upon this idea of being competent together. And I want us to begin with the competency of Jesus. Obviously, it's a given, true. I don't necessarily need to talk about the fact that Jesus was competent. But sometimes I'll feel led to state the obvious. So let me just do that this morning. Jesus Christ was completely perfect in both person and work in his earthly ministry. So whether you're referring to the personhood of Christ or the work of Christ, he, in his earthly ministry, he was absolutely perfect. Um, hold your spot there in Ephesians 4 and just flip over to Colossians 1 real quick. <clears throat> Colossians 1, verse 15, Paul says this about Christ. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is a beautiful statement about the person and work of Christ. Whether you're talking about who he was or what he did, he was absolutely perfect. Just, just think about how absolutely competent Jesus was in his personhood and in his work. So I'll invite you for just a second, just pick a situation that you can remember in the New Testament story about Jesus and marvel at how competent he was every time, no matter what it was. There was a wedding where they ran out of wine and Jesus was perfectly competent. He encountered a leper. Jesus was competent. It just didn't matter. Noticing a hungry crowd, uh, receiving a paralytic, answering difficult questions from religious leaders, casting vision about the future of the kingdom of God, shepherding a sinner who was caught in sin, listening to an honest seeker, whether it was a Syrophoenician woman or a religious leader like Nicodemus, when he attended funerals, when he was blessing children, when he was confronting sin, when he was called upon to suffer, when he was called upon to make the supreme sacrifice, when he was called upon to obey the Father's will, every single time. It, it, it just doesn't matter. Jesus is perfectly competent in his personhood and in his work. Amen? Amen. Just, just, he's just, I know we don't usually use that word competent when we talk about Jesus, but it's just the truth. He's just perfectly competent. Now, Here's the thing. He knew that he wasn't always going to be with us physically on this earth. So what did he do as he prepared to leave? Well, Matthew 16. Um, if you go back to Matthew 16, verses 16 through 20, Jesus Christ established his church. The Bible tells us in Matthew 16, Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, the far northern part of Israel. And y'all remember this story. He, he's standing there in front of this this pagan area where uh, the goddess Roma was worshipped. In fact, there was this very terrible cave there known as the Gates of Hades. It represented death and spiritual forces of darkness and all kinds of superstition in the lives of the Romans. And Jesus is standing there in that very pagan place and he says, so what's everybody saying about me? Who, who does everybody think I am? Y'all remember this story? And they said, well, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah, and then finally Jesus said, well, who do you all say that I am? I mean, I've been with you now for a while. So what is your answer? Remember, Simon Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And so Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, be loosed in heaven. This, this powerful statement from Jesus. You see, in the, in, in, on Wednesdays, we've just started a study of the book of Exodus. Well, here's what we're going to discover in the book of Exodus. God is going to call a group of people to himself, and he's going to establish a covenant relationship with them. And they are going to be the people of God, and they're going to live in relationship with God, and that covenant is going to bind them together. You and I now refer to that as the old covenant, because Jesus came, and he now invites people to be in a relationship with him under the new covenant, and we do that through the church. The church is the new covenantal people of God. And so we now are God's people and the new covenant has been sealed by the very blood of Jesus Christ himself and his victory over sin and death. And so the church, we now are the people of God. So Jesus established the church. So you might say, well, that's great, uh, Pastor. So what? So what's the church supposed to do? Jesus said, I'm going to build it, and all these spiritual forces of darkness, gates of Hades, whatever you want to refer to it as, it's not going to overcome it. It's, it's going to be victorious. Well, then Jesus commissioned the church. He commissioned his church with a mission, and his mission has all kinds of assignments and responsibilities. In other words, when Jesus established the church, he's given the church a unique role in society. Nothing else <clears throat> compares to it. So the gates of Hades won't overcome it, but the powers of, for, of, of, of the forces of darkness and evil will not overcome it. So what is Jesus given the church to do? Well, as you just walk through the scripture and listen to what Jesus says, that's how you start understanding what we're supposed to be about. So for example, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, some people misunderstood that. And they believe those keys were only given to Simon Peter. Well, there's a sense in which Simon Peter played a very unique role uh, in the life of the church. As a matter of fact, we're about to leave, I mean, to be in Rome. And one of the things we notice in Rome, every time you see Simon Peter depicted in Renaissance art, what does he always have in his hand? Keys. Come straight from this passage. But we'll discover later on in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, these keys are for the church. And that means there's spiritual power. The keys are, are, are a symbol of unlocking the future, if you will. Unlocking the spiritual power and forces and releasing them on this earth. The church has the keys to do that, to release the kingdom of heaven on this earth. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent his workers out into the world and he said, go and heal the sick and have power over demonic forces. And the disciples, and they come back to Jesus and they said, it worked. <laughs> we, we had this, exactly what you told us. Well, the church has a healing presence in this world and we have power over demonic forces. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. What a statement. Who says that? Somebody who is perfectly competent in their person and work. <laughs> Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now I am commissioning you. You go into all the nations of the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. So the church has been commissioned to do just that. 
In Luke 22, verses 17 through 20, Jesus said, Now, this meal, this bread, and this cup, do this right here in remembrance of me. And be reminded of the new covenant in my blood. And understand that one day I'm going to do this with you in heaven. In John 13, Jesus said, love one another. This is how everybody's going to know your mind. So as you go out into the world, love each other. And people will know you're my disciples. In John 20, the Bible says that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his followers. And he said, now, you go and forgive sin. In other words, the, the church, the people of God are going to proclaim a message of redemption and reconciliation and salvation and freedom from sin. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the world. You'll take me and my message to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is given and Peter stands up and says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Acts chapter 2 verse 17, your sons and daughters will prophesy, he said. And then if you'll read further in the New Testament, Paul, John, they teach us more about the role of the church. So, so what's the church supposed to be about? All of that. Everything I just said. We're the body of Christ on earth. He, he left us physically. He ascended to the Father. But we are now his body. And we're supposed to be doing all those things that I just mentioned. The church is to share the message of salvation. We're the, we're the community of transformed believers. We are the presence of Christ in this world in a unique way that no one else feels. Okay? So with that said, y'all still with me? Okay, the church. Unique assignments. Now, how we doing? Man, how we doing in this old world? Let me ask you, do you feel equipped to do all of that? As my mama used to say, that's a tall order. I don't know if y'all say that in Texas or not, but what my mama meant by that was, that's a, that's a big job right there. Are you, up, are you up to it? Well, here's the good news. Jesus has secured the resources for us so that we can do it. So I want you to think about competencies this morning. Christ has ensured that his church is competent to fulfill its mission through his gifting of his people. He's not just left us to ourselves. Go do all of that. Wow, these are flawed people, right? You remember who they were, don't you? You remember James and John, they were arguing over who's going to be the greatest, right? Simon Peter, whose mouth always ran ahead of his brain, right? I mean, Judas is going to betray Jesus. I mean, these are, these are broken people. Now, I know that when we look at them in the past, they glow in the dark because they're the apostles, right? I get it. But I'm telling you, if you're on the other side looking at them, these are just, these are just a bunch of guys, men and women, just trying to figure this out. But you know what? He made sure they and we will be competent to do what we've been called to do. So I want you to look at this text, Ephesians 4, okay? I want you to look at, look at what it says he did. Look at verse 7. Each one of us, a gift has been given. Some way we have been given a role to play. Now, then look at verse 11. He has given some, though, and here's the list, apostles, 
prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers. Do you see that? There's a group of people that he has given to the church so that the church can be competent to do its work, okay? So now, here's the imagery that Paul's going to use in this text. This ascending and descending. Did y'all remember reading all that? That comes from Psalm 68. So this week, if you want to look that up and read it, Psalm 68 is where it comes from. However, here's what Paul does. He takes Psalm 68, which is a, a royal psalm. It is a psalm about God being enthroned, about God delivering Israel from Egypt, about God being victorious in all that he's done, and God is now ascending. And as God ascends, he receives gifts. He's blessed, he's gifted by the people, if you will, like a king. Paul takes that psalm and he gives us a Christological interpretation of it. And instead of using it to refer to God ascending, he refers to Christ ascending. It's about the ascension of Christ. And instead of Christ receiving gifts in his ascension, he's giving gifts. So Paul takes that psalm and reinterprets it Christologically. You might say, no, wait a minute, I don't think you can do that. You can do that if you're Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's what he did. And Paul says, Jesus has ascended, and when he ascended, he now has gifted the church so that the church can be competent. And the Spirit of God is going to make sure all of this can happen. So it's for everybody, verse 7. It's for some that he lists in verse 11 and following. And he's going to just equip the whole body so we can live into our mission. So who are all these people? Well, let's... Let's talk about them. Apostles. Well, who are the apostles? Well, if you want to use that word technically, it refers to those original followers of Jesus who are eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Okay? So there's the apostles. However, he also refers in Romans 16 to Andronicus and Junia, a man and his wife, as apostles. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't remember them being in the list. Well, that just lets me know there maybe there's a little nuance to the role of an apostle. In other words, there's the formal, technical meaning of apostles, capital A. But then there's an apostolic function that's going to be with the church from now on. And he's going to have people who are going to have that apostolic calling in the life of the church. They're leading forward. They're the kind of people that um, advance the kingdom of God. They're entrepreneurial in their spirit. They're pioneering, mobilizing, catalytic presence in the life of the church. Then he says they're going to be prophets. Prophets are people who, who help us to stay God-oriented, if you will, connected to God, his purposes, speak truth to power, speak messages about justice and holiness. Now, there are some theologians who said, no, wait a minute. We don't have them anymore. You, you can't have apostles and prophets anymore. Those theologians are called cessationists. In other words, those gifts ceased at the end of the New Testament era and no longer exist. Does that make sense? They're called cessationists. Now, here's my problem with that, y'all. I don't know that I have the authority to declare who in the Bible no longer exists. I just don't know that I can do that. So I would tell y'all that for me, theologically, I'm not a cessationist. But for most of my ministry, I've been practically a cessationist because I just haven't given it a whole lot of thought. 
So can I just be honest enough to say that to you? I just haven't given a whole lot of thought. And the reason for that is sometimes it makes me nervous because I think those two gifts in particular, those two types of people have been abused by people who want to be power hungry and oversee churches in ways that aren't biblical. But can I declare something is non-biblical just because somebody abuses it? I don't think so. So I've come back on this to decide I'm, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that, that the church still is supposed to have an apostolic presence. There are people in the church who have that apostolic calling and the prophetic calling. And then he says the evangelists. Well, who are the evangelists? Well, y'all know who the evangelists are. They're the people that just make us all nervous. They're just, they just... You just can't help it. They're just wired a certain way. They're always witnessing to everybody. They just believe that anybody that comes in contact with them is supposed to be saved. Okay? They irritate you a little bit. They just do. They, but you know what? They're the ones that can uniquely communicate the gospel. They call for a response. They, they, they share the good news. It's just indigenous to who they are. And God uses them powerfully. Then there are shepherds. Well, the shepherds, the pastors, they protect the body. They, they, they provide pastoral care, community. The family of God is important to them. And they're the teachers. They're the ones that have a love for Scripture, and they help you have a love for Scripture. They impart knowledge, theology, learning. They create an atmosphere of learning. Now, think about that. Every one of those at some point is, is, is a part of ministry of the Word, if you will, is what I would say. And I believe that every one of those are people that the church needs. And so we're going to explore this a little bit more this year. Some people refer to this as the APEST. A-P-E-S-T. Does that make sense? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And here's what some um, leaders, pastors, theologians, church um, health experts are asking right now. People that we're studying and reading and, and listening to, some of them are saying to us, A-P-E, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, have been kind of pushed down in the modern church. And the modern church is more inclined to follow shepherds and teachers. And so what some people are saying to us church leaders right now is you need to let the apes loose. Because we need some entrepreneurial leadership. We need some prophetic messages to power. And we need some cutting edge evangelism. What do y'all think? I, I, I think I agree with that. It makes me nervous because guess what I am? I'm, I'm a teacher. True. I mean, y'all know me. I'm your shepherd. But you know what? I have a little bit apostolic in me. I like to start new things. Things that push us to the edge, if you will. But I'm at my heart, I'm right in the heart of all of this as a shepherd. I care about you, and I want to make sure you're cared for. So we need all of it. And guess what? Church members, individually gifted church members, are drawn to each one of these areas of ministry. They just are. Some of y'all are more inclined toward the entrepreneurial side. Some of y'all are more inclined toward the pastoral side. Some of you more inclined toward the teaching side. We all have that. Your gifts, whether they be hospitality or mercy or generosity or faith or whatever it is God's gifted you to do, you tend to kind of be drawn to one of these aspects of the church. But here's the point. All of us, put us all together, and we can be competent together. But we all need each other. 
You don't want the church to just be led by apostles without any kind of a shepherd's heart because apostles would drive you off the end of the world. You don't want just prophets because sometimes prophets speak words so directly and so powerful, powerfully they need to be laced in the context of a shepherding congregation. But you don't want to just be led by shepherds who don't want to do anything but just take care of everybody. Is this making sense to y'all? I'm being a little bit facetious. The point is, we need each other. And we need all of this working together. We need it to be holistic. That's why I want to say this in closing. It's in community. That's, that's where this is lived out. Each one of us engages in our responsibilities and together we accomplish the mission. And that's what this text teaches us. Look, look at verse 12. Paul says, man, get all these gifted people together. Everything that you're called to do, these leaders, what they're called to do, put them all together and look at what he says. And then you can, you can build up the body, he says. You can equip the body. Verse 13, you, you, you can be unified in the faith. You can actually become mature as a church. You can attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14. You, you won't be infants anymore. You won't just be blown around by false teaching. You won't be shallow, immature. Look at verse 15. He says, you'll, you'll communicate with each other in love. You'll grow into a mature body, into the head who is Christ. And from him, Paul says, we're, we're all held together. Every one of us playing our role. We're all fulfilling our roles. And when we do that, we demonstrate the competency of Christ in the church so that we can be competent just like he was competent. Does that make sense? That, that's what God's calling us to. You know, back in the late 80s, the Olympic Committee and various governing bodies finally decided that when it came time for the 1992 Olympic Games, they were going to allow professional athletes to compete in the Olympics. It was no longer just going to be amateurs. So for the first time, NBA players could actually be on the U.S. men's basketball team. First time it ever happened. Do y'all remember that? So in 1992, we assembled a basketball team from the USA. First time ever NBA players could play in it. Y'all remember what we called that team? The Dream Team. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, John Stockton, Christian Leitner, Scottie Pippen. I mean, it was just, I mean, come on, y'all, seriously. <laughs> I mean, these guys were awesome. In fact, Chuck Daly was the coach, and he knew they had, he knew they were too full of themselves. He knew it. So he did everything he could do to keep them humble. So finally, he split them in two, and he made them play against each other one day. And um, nobody was there to watch it. Michael Jordan said it's the best basketball game he ever played in in his entire life. It's called the greatest game that nobody ever saw. It's just an inner squad game. Y'all, the dream team destroyed everybody. <laughs> They're getting ready for their first game. They're playing Angola. <laughs> Charles Barkley said, I've never heard of Angola, but Angola's in trouble. <clears throat> Turns out they were. One stretch, the USA outscored them 48 to 1. 
Their average margin of victory, 44 points. They played every tournament. They made it all the way through. They won every game, and Chuck Daly never even called a timeout. Never needed to. Daly noticed something unusual while they were playing, though. He noticed that as the game wore on, different players were covering from the other team, recovering his players. And he finally realized what was going on. Those players were having friends of theirs and fellow team members take photos of them covering all these different superstars. <laughs> they knew they weren't going to win. They just wanted to get a picture covering Larry Bird or covering Magic Johnson or covering Michael Jordan just to prove to their kids one day, I played against this guy. That's how good they were. Well, let me tell you all something about the church. The church, my goodness, come on, the church. Jesus, Jesus has outfitted the church. Chuck Daly was a great coach. He ain't Jesus, though. <clears throat> Jesus is awesome. And Jesus gifts the church. He does. This church. I'll tell you, you join this church. You know, this church has been led by apostles, <clears throat> prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. <clears throat> we may not have worded it that way, but think about it in retrospect. Um, Dr. Meredith was our pastor. The church burned. Nobody really knew what to do. It was a sad time. The city of Arlington was young, or, or, I mean, it was small, and Dr. Meredith is the one who said, we're going we're to relocate and he's the one that bought this property here on Center Street and built that original building there and put First Baptist right downtown from now on. And then he died unexpectedly, bleeding ulcer. He's a young pastor. Brother East came. 5,000 people in the city of Arlington. Brother East came and realized we need to grow this church. We need to grow the downtown footprint, but we also need to establish churches all over this town. You know what he did? That was an apostolic kind of thought. And he established churches all over this community. You can take almost every Baptist church in Arlington and somehow connect it. It was either a daughter or a granddaughter of First Baptist Arlington, somehow. Dr. Wade came. He's sitting right here. Dr. Wade came with his spirit of compassion and pastoral presence. He also expanded the footprint of us in downtown Arlington. But then he established these ministries of compassion, things that nobody else was doing, things like shelters for battered women, shelters for people who need it. And obviously, the, one of the hallmarks of Dr. Wade's Mission Arlington, taking the gospel to this community in a very unique way, and it continues to serve this community. Those were apostolic, prophetic kinds of things, pushing the church beyond what it had done in the past. And then I came after this huge foundation had been laid for me, and I began to address the world, and I wanted to expand our role here, so we expanded our footprint in downtown Arlington. We established a counseling center right here in downtown Arlington to share the gospel in a unique way with this community. But y'all know, I had a heart for the world. And so we established our opportunity to send missionaries. And, and so we began sending our own workers and we established a network and infrastructure so that we can do that. And we've now established global centers that exist, three of them right now across the world. And so those global centers are in action right now today in Slovenia. Y'all know that Ryan and Sarah are there. They're working in post-communist Europe. What a challenging environment. People who have, who, who have no sense of connection to the gospel. People who, have, who, have, who really have, many of them have no hope for the future. It's, it's hard ground to plant seeds there. But Ryan and Sarah being faithful. And we keep praying for them and, and working with them. In fact, Sarah's about to have her third baby just any day now. So let's remember them. 
Um, and then we're, you know, we're working also in Europe with uh, Emily and Guillermo, and we're working among uh, Muslim immigrants, and we're taking the gospel to people in a unique way, addressing the lives of thousands of people that have an online presence where thousands of people are accessing messages about Jesus in a very unique way, planting churches as well. And then y'all know in West Africa, we're partnered in West Africa with two church planting movements. One of them, we've just been working with. That's where Cindy and, and our whole team have been working with Pastor Emmanuel. We have over 150 church planters now. We have over 5,000 believers now that are connected to that work as they're planting churches in dark places. We have another church planting ministry in another part of the country uh, that one of our former orphans leads. And he has over 3,000 believers. And you are supporting all of that. And then every Sunday morning when you gather right here through Mission Arlington, we have 354 congregations meeting all over this town that are under our umbrella that belong to us. They don't know that. But you know, when you join one of those churches at Mission Arlington, you actually are joining First Baptist Arlington because they're under our charter and our umbrella. And so, guess where you are? You're in the nerve center. You're in the mother church. So when you join this church, you've stepped right into the heart of all of that. And you're supporting all of that. And you're making all of that possible. That's why it's important that the mother church has to continue to be healthy and grow and develop and mature so that we can do the work that God's called us to. And here's the beautiful thing. Put us all together, the people that are apostolic, the people that are prophetic, the people that are evangelistic, the people that are shepherding, the people that are teaching, the people that are generous, the people that have faith, the people that have mercy, the people that are hospitable, the people that have administrative skills. Put us all together and guess what we are? We're the dream team. That's what we are. <laughs> and God has put us together for a time like this. And you're in on it. And you're not just barely in on it. You're in the very heart of it. You are, what make, you are what's making it all possible. Praise God. So bring your gifts to the table, whatever they are, because we need all of them. And if your gift is undone, that means that work, that unique perspective, that unique gift you bring is undone. Don't let it be undone on your watch. Play your role. And let's encourage everybody to play our own roles and let's speak into the lives of our people. And we do that, y'all. And then we can prove to be competent in person and in work. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Father, we, uh, we're grateful to be a part of this work. The church. I want to thank you that you've gifted us so that we can be competent in it. And the cool thing about that is it's your gifting so you get the glory for it. Because we know good and well it's not just us. We know we don't have the competency on our own to fulfill the role of the church. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you that you gift us with people, with power, with perspective so that we might be who we need to be. Help us, Lord, to live into it fully and well so that your work will be done in this place in a way that honors you. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.